Hi, my name is uh, Dave O'Brien. I'm the president and CEO of Stahini Exploration. We're listening to TSX Venture under the symbol STU. And with me is my uh, vice president of exploration, Hassan Salmabadi. Um, hi, Hassan. Hello, everyone. My name is Hassan Salmabadi. Um, <clears throat> I am here to share a little bit about uh, our project, and uh, I look forward to the questions and the conversations uh, we're about to have. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Hassan. And um, we were currently, um, Stahini is developing projects in Western Canada, and our signature project is the Ruby Creek project, which is a large sort of gold, silver, base metals project. And the key asset is the Ruby Creek molybdenum deposit, formerly known as the Adnac molybdenum deposit, whereby we've recently put out a, a resource. And we believe it's a, a top-tier asset, and uh, um, hopefully Merlin will, will agree with me. Um, Dave, thank you very much for the introduction. Essan, uh, good to meet you. Dave, good to meet you too. Um, we're still doing things over um, over Zoom. Uh, obviously, you've been back and um, doing meetings in person. I believe you've just been at the Vancouver Resources Conference. How's that? How's that gone? Was that all in person or was that also a hybrid? That was in person, and it was it was a good conference. We were busy. Our, our booth was fairly busy with some samples of ore there because we just put our resource update out. There was a bit of a buzz, but um, there, there's good you know there's there's good optimism, even though. The market's been pretty bleak lately. You know, we, we like the commodity space going forward. And I think people are going to want things you can drop on your toes that the world really needs. Um, you know, maybe Starbucks shouldn't be trading at 50 times earnings. Maybe the, maybe the, maybe the resource company should be, right? But we, we need molybdenum. We need copper. We need these things going forward and uh, interesting times. And your presentation is all about um, the Ruby Creek uh, molybdenum project. Actually, I noticed you've got a very long presentation. You've got three or four other, two or three other projects in there as well. And when you when you talk about the Ruby Creek portfolio, you've also got gold prospects and uh, silver prospects in there. But essentially, um, the the main thrust of the company in the last twelve months or so has been working on that Ruby Creek molybdenum project. And you've just put out a resource um, statement on that. Um, are you going to be focusing on Ruby Creek, the molybdenum um, project going forwards? Uh, you know, is, is this going to be the bulk of the investment um, in 2022? You know, what's the work program on Ruby Creek itself? Uh, thanks, Merlin. Yes, we are. We, you know, obviously, you know, molybdenum's had a pretty big move up the last couple of years. When we obtained the project in, in late 19, Molly was, you know, under $10 a pound. It was, I think in, in July, the summer of 2020, it was $6, $7 a pound. And now it's, pushing 20 US. So obviously with the big price increase in Molybdenum, we believe the, our project is potentially economic and it's certainly moved from the back burner to the front burner. Uh, it's a big it's a big world-class asset. As much as we love our, our other prospects, we are concentrating on that. And we, we are actually, as I discussed with Matthew last time, we, we'd like to move to a plan of arrangement and create a pure play Molly company and then take the rest of the 10 years and spin those off into more Greenfields company. There's no guarantee of that behind the scenes. Um, it's one of our goals this year. Okay, um, let's talk pure play, Molly. Um, Isan, can you introduce me to the resource, please? Just kind of in terms of um, what's the geology and um, how come there's no copper in it? And, um, you know, tell me a little bit about the resource, please. That'd be great. Sure thing. Yeah, no, it's, um, uh, you know, most people hear porphyry. So it's a porphyry uh, deposit. And when people hear porphyry and molybdenum, usually there's always a copper component and usually quite a significant com uh, copper component. Uh, but in this case, this is a little different. This is a climax, what's defined as a climax style uh, molybdenum porphyry system, uh, where yes, there's uh, very little of any other uh, of the typical metals that uh, would become of economic interest like copper or any of the gold or silver credits. Um, I mean, yeah, there's some specific 
elements to it that make it a climax style deposit. Uh, I don't know how, how technical you want me to get into it uh, with regards to that. Like it's, you know, it, it, there's a, there's unusually high flooring compared to the other types of uh, granitoids that are usually hosting these deposits and, and uh, anomalously high uh, niobium and, uh, and uh, also uh, uh, rubidium. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's these uh, 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 scientific classific, you know, a scientific criteria that define that classification. But, uh, and, but the term obviously climax comes from uh, the climax mm. deposits uh, that uh, Freeport has been, uh, and it still is uh, actively mining. So, um, of course, as soon as you mentioned the word climax, I went straight back to kind of uh, my geology classes. Um, it's in the Western states, isn't it? Is it Arizona or is it Nevada or? Um, uh, um, Colorado. Colorado. Oops, there we go. Um, yeah. So, and it's and it's been in production for a long time, and it's a pure molly producer. Is that right? Yes. And what's it, when I when I look at um, Ruby Creek, I, I, I mean, it's absolutely huge. The, the resource figures that you put out, um, 369 million tons um, in your resource classification. Is it homogenous grade or are there zones of kind of high grade within that? And, and when, you, when you look at it, how do you uh, see it? Do you see it as this has got to be a large scale development to get the tons through? Or are you going to try and approach it on a... Um, start small approach and kind of work on a high grade component within that larger resource. Okay. So there, there's two parts to your question. Um, yes, there are zones of higher grade, um, you know, without getting into, yeah. So there's one zone that's right at uh, surface that starts at surface uh, that, you know, in, in the, uh, the grades there, the, the resource grades in there are getting more into the one. Uh, percent molly those are the kind of intercepts that you're getting into that uh in this area and it's an area that really what is what made this project uh of interest in the past while several major players actually tried to take a run uh at bringing this into production because yes you do have a near surface higher grade uh area that uh you could start uh your operations with and you know be able to achieve a a, a quicker payback uh there is also a higher grade area along um, the north, uh, the northern flank of the deposit along the Adira corridor, as well, or what uh, we've called the Adira corridor. Sorry, the, the Adira corridor is actually uh, something that we've referred to in our silver press releases. But I, I, I'll actually pull it back. It's uh, let's call it the Adira fault. Um, so yes, the northern edge of the deposit is uh, is flanked by the Adira fault, and yes, and there's a pickup of mineralization in there as well. It might be um, useful to see this on a, on a map. Do you have um, um, kind of an orientation? Um, Dave, are you driving the, um, the, the slides? Yeah, or? yeah there's, um, the, there's the pit constrained resource um, right in here, the road accessibility. And, and uh, this is a, a sort of a cross section of the deposit as well. The yeah, place. so there you're seeing actually the, the, uh, that uh, Adira fault uh, in long section. You're seeing it, and that you know, and the mineralization extends outside of the pit, the, the current pit constrained resource. Okay, so um, uh, I can't see. So, hang on, that's a section. So, um, w w am I looking east, west, east, or east, west across here? Is, is is that what it is? I can't quite tell the orientation of this. Oh, sorry. Yes, uh, you you are you are looking north. Looking north. Okay. Yes. And the, 
Um, Dave, could you go back to the slide before, please? Yes. Okay, so that the fault presumably is is, is slightly oblique. Is, is it kind of southwest northeast along the? Yes, um, exactly. It, yes, it, it looks as if that kind of lake um, in the northwest of the pit constrained is kind of out in the. Um, what's that? Would that be in the foot wall? Uh, it actually would be the hanging wall. So oh, it's a steeply dipping. Yeah, so it's a steeply dipping fault. Um, I actually do have a cross section. I I can just share. I can just pop up. Okay, so David, if you perhaps you stop sharing, and we're, we're going to um, go over to um, Esan. Are you guys seeing my screen? Yeah, got it. Yeah. So yeah, now we're looking uh, towards uh, the southwest, and yeah, so this, yeah, so the Adir uh, fault definitely has uh, a structure, or sorry, a control on the mineralization, and you can see the grades that pick up uh, along it as well. As well, we have those higher grade, you know, there is another higher grade area as well. Um, and so much of the Adira drilling uh, was actually Adenac. Adenac, that was part of their, their uh, contribution to the uh, resource. Sorry, when you say Adira drilling and Adenac, um, those, I, can, you, can you give me some orientation on those names? Oh, please? sure, yes. Uh, uh, Adenac Molly was the previous operator that uh, almost was able to bring this into production. Um, in 2008, uh, um, yeah, so in 2007, uh, they completed a, a bankable feasibility study. They had the credit facility. They were well on the way into production. Um, uh, prior to this, they'd done some additional drilling as well, both some uh, resource verification, like drill, uh, 20 molten storage holes, as well as some uh, of their own expansion drilling. And yes, they were on track to put this thing into production uh, when uh, the financial crisis hit. Okay. Okay. Um, so they obviously had a liquidity crunch when, when fast or something like that. Um, um, and how much of your own work have you done on this um, to update their bank of, bankable feasibility study? Perhaps, could, uh, thank you. Perhaps could you stop sharing just for the moment and we can yes. come back to this. So, you know, they obviously did a bankable feasibility study 2007, 2008, um, and then we're almost in kind of the financing construction phase. And then they, then it's fallen over. It's, it's lain fallow for a number of years. And how much of re-engineering work have you done on this? Uh, well, so at this stage, uh, nothing outside of uh, the resource uh, update that we just did and basically making the resource on our own since as soon as these projects change hands like this, uh, you need to redo the resource. You can't just rely uh, on the previous resource. Um, but we are about to uh, uh, engage a firm in actually doing a, a pre preliminary economic assessment. And uh, the time frame for that would be, you know, some completed somewhere within the next eight to, or six to eight months. And, um, and I'll actually add that one of, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the requests I've made is actually that, you know, because there's different qualities of preliminary economic uh, assessments. Um, uh, you know, uh, I've requested... Uh, detailed cost quotes um, on this. And, you know, I don't want anybody just to flip back into an old binder, old cost binder, because a lot of these costs, a lot of these capital costs for these projects have changed. So I requested, uh, you know, you know, plus minus 25% costing on these things, which is something that's more of a, a pre-feasibility level uh, study kind of detail. Um, but, you know, well, if I was just talking to um, a mind builder last week who I was, I was talking about, 
you know, how do you get your cost estimates to be credible in a in a in an inflationary environment like this, where you know your input costs are, are variable, possibly rising? And he said one of the keys is not going to uh, factorizing your old costs and just saying, oh, it's going to be going up by a certain amount, but actually to, to get the requote as much as you can to kind of get your fresh comparable, your fresh quote, um, to get a real f- input figure for your fresh study. Um, and he, he, he said that's the way that he would do it to get a, the most credible result that he can do. Um, so it's good to hear that you're going back to that. On the, um, that's part of the input request that you've, you're making for the PEA. Um, just in terms of grade and value per ton, um, um, what, what, what do you see as the in situ kind of value per ton as, as your cutoff? You know, what, um, because when you're dealing with Molly resources, you know, the grades are low. This, this is a 0.053% global resource figure. Yep. Um, what's the cutoff on that resource? Well, so, so, the different, so there's two different cutoffs, and uh, I'll try and be as succinct as possible. There is a resource cutoff, and then there's your mining cutoff, which um, basically the way I would describe it is your mining cutoff is going to uh, be a much more uh, rigorous uh, uh, kind of uh, number with regards to the costs are more uh, rigorously uh, uh, determined and, and analyzed versus the resource cutoff. Um, it's something where it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't necessarily equate to what is actually going to be economical to mine. Cause what is, you know, it's something more a case of where, you know, I would you know, one way to think about it is that maybe it's, you know, cash positive as soon as, you know, anything above this cutoff is cash positive, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's economic to actually run everything above this particular cutoff grade. Um, so for us, yes. Uh, and oftentimes this is the way resource cutoff grades are done. It's basically you use it, <clears throat> you use something that uh, represents a cash positive scenario. So for us, the 0.02 cutoff uh, essentially is a case where we determined well, everything, you know, by the, you know, when you drill and blast and move the material, that's a sunk cost. You know, you have to spend that money anyway. So if there's a chance you could put it through the mill and, and get a, a, a net return, ergo, you should, you know, include that in your resource. But that does, that, that does you know, by no means mean that um, that, that is necessarily going to be the actual uh, operating cutoff, uh, the running and, model. And, and, and the, re- the resource that you've, you've, um, published recently, is that a global resource, or did he put an inf- did he put a pit constraint around it as well? Is there a oh, subset yeah. which is pit constrained? Uh, actually, it's it is a completely pit constrained resource, and that's where um, yes, and that's where it's different from the two thousand seven resource. Um, the two thousand seven resource was not, uh, sorry, the two thousand eight resource was not, um, and that was the last time uh, Adnac Molly, the previous operator, updated the resource. Yes, they did not uh, apply a pit constraint on it. Um, yes, yeah, since then, it, it's, uh, it, was even an, it, it was even something that was being done at the time, but since then, all resources need to have some sort of mineable constraint on it um, in yeah. order to be able to you know, give some semblance of what the potential uh, mining reality might look like. You, know, you don't want to be too far down or for well, a low-rate well, multi-manage system. Sorry, like. I mean, um, essentially, what you've got is a... I mean, one can often put a kind of geological constraint on your resource cutoff. There's a there's a um, the, there's a geological reason why it becomes much lower grade 
when you're outside of the main mineralizing zone, it doesn't, it's not, it basically says it's a non-linear um, reduction in grade away from the kind of the centralizing fault or the central geological feature. So you can use that as your kind of global um, envelope. And then within yeah. that, you can use your uh, more rigorously defined economically constrained resource cutoff to tell you what tons and grade fall into the pit. Um, the, I guess my question is when I looked at the cross section there, you had the, the hanging wall and a, almost um, kind of a um, mineralization coming up and across. Now I normally associate porphyries with basically subvertical um, yeah. uh, features here. So what's the, is, is this a deformed porphyry? Is this an, kind of an archaean terrain? Is it something that's got an isotropy within it, which related to structure or to geological emplacement? Um, how, how have you approached the resource? So, with regards to the, the the shape that you're seeing, yes, there is a structural control that and, you know. So the Adira uh, fault uh, plus some uh, some of the associated uh, structures, uh, you know, are are the reason why this doesn't have that typical, you know, cupola style, uh, you know, uh, porphyry mineralization uh, distribution. You know, the classic kind of uh, solito model that uh, you yeah. see in textbooks. Um, yeah, um, and you can see, uh, you know, you know. So I mean. We're going to get into geological arm waving. Maybe at the source, at the source of this, you will like if you go deeper down, because uh, it still is open along the Adira uh, fault, and it definitely looks like the Adira fault is a major uh, uh, fluid conduit. Maybe you will see something of more of that classic uh, look to it. But that's you know now we're getting into you know the um, you know the you know yeah so okay so um I'm, I'm just i'm just trying to learn about your approach to the project have you um when you went back to the resource did you have to um re-ass in the core or uh, you know what, what have you done to to verify the database if you had to go through this if you couldn't accept a historical resource but you had to kind of create your own one um what are the kind of the, the kind of the key steps that you took to bring it into uh, the present day? Um, so with the rest of the historical core, uh, there was actually a core because uh, 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 we do have uh, all the ADNAC core is still on site. And so we went back uh, and took uh, samples from uh, uh, different, uh, different holes and actually reassayed them. And, and, you know, cause the sample tags are intact, you know, and did a comparison of what we got for grade versus what they did kind of standard issue that you do for this thing. And then, the, yeah. And, um, and then the, the main thing was actually, we, we went through and we, uh, checked through all the certs all again. Um, and it's actually in the report, the, the level of detail, uh, that went into the actual QAQC on our end. Um, and so all again, Going back to Adnac Mali, uh, all the information, all the assay certificates, um, and they actually had a, and that's also in the report and something worth looking at. They had a very rigorous QAQC program, actually. Um, you know, somebody might even say it was overkill, but you know, better. You know, I can understand why people go to that length. It's you know, you you know, you want to, you know, it just makes it more defendable and and uh, you know, nobody can question pretend you know it down the load. So yeah, um, it's. Yeah, it was quite a rigorous QAPC program. So that was easy to follow. Now, when we got to the uh, placer, um, uh, uh, to the placer era drilling or the Kerr Addison drilling, that's when we needed to get into historical documents. Um, and while ADNAC, one of the things they did was they actually had twin some, uh, a number of these holes that their QP at the time 
uh, designated would be enough to be able to take all of those historic drill holes, um, you know, provided that the results were comparable and be able to use them. But on top of that, uh, going in and looking for uh, and actually reviewing the primary documents, if there were any available or even secondary sources for the assays and actually checking to see if even the assays were input correctly um, for that matter. So, and yeah, can, uh, and with uh, database, uh, sorry, go ahead. A full, a full database kind of audit really is what you're, oh, what you're describing. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is all, at the end of it, this is what this project, that's the value of this project is actually this, this database. I mean, that's really what we have right now is data um, because we're not a producing mine. So really the asset here is actually the data itself without that data and or if it's not in good quality or if it's, you know, if or for any project, if, if the data is questionable, then the value automatically uh, gets greatly diminished. Yeah, I've got a couple of questions that I'm going to ask what I think is the more crucial one first. And the second one's an orientation one. Um, by the sounds of it, 14 years ago, the company that owned it, ADNAC, were um, about to go into production, but they had a loosey-goosey resource that wasn't pit constrained um and they must have done a they must have done a kind of set of studies but you're talking about going back to a pea so there's a kind of a disconnect in the in the level of advancement of the the project which I, I, i'm curious about sure no problem no actually so they took this to, uh, to a full feasibility study so all this stuff all the all the plans all even the, the design work because you know they had up to 25 percent at least uh detailed design work actually done in their feasibility study so uh, while at the time they were able to report a non-pit constrained resource, no, they actually had a proper, you know, a properly planned out uh, operation. No, it was uh, it was actually very respectable um, uh, work that they had done with the firms that they had done. But what's happened since then is, I mean, essentially consider this as being stale dated. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, it's 14 years old now, um, or actually more than that, the feasibility itself is actually 15 years old. Um, you know, you, you definitely need to go back to the drawing board. Now, part of the drawing board is actually going back and revisiting uh, uh, the old engineering as well and see what you can gain from it. But the old feasibility report was actually done uh, based on an older version of the resource, which was smaller, in fact. So since then, the, the resource was expanded since that 2007 feasibility study. So, you know, we have an opportunity potentially to change the way this looks. Um, you know, and, and that, and and, from an economic um, standpoint. Talk me down the, let's have a little look at the mineralogy, metallurgy, mineral processing. You know, um, the work that they did, they, they pr presumably done quite a lot of metallurgical test work, good petrography, yeah. they've understood the mineralogy. Uh, a lot of that you're going to be able to use. Yep, can, a fair bit can, of that for sure. Yep. What did they, what were the kind of the, the, the headline features of, of the uh, petrography, mineralogy, and the mineral processing? Well, well, the headline feature, well, things that I guess, you know, so I'll actually go back to how, which, which you were talking about, how things change over time. Um, you know, uh, high pressure uh, grinding rules, uh, incorporating those into your circuit. Um, that was talked about then, but that was a relatively new, uh, you know, addition to, uh, you know, to your, to, to your communication circuit. Yeah. Um, you know, while they did look at it, it's something that may actually be much more worthwhile to look again because of the, you know, added benefits that you can get uh, from having that versus uh, a sag mill. Um, uh, you know, so there's, you know, there's all sorts of things and even flotation technology now. I'm, yeah. I'm not actually, it, it, I'm at, it, 
Yeah, it has changed all. a huge amount. No, um, flotation, yeah. uh, the reagents have changed enormously. But um, <laughs> essentially, is, um, is it molybdenite? Is that the main mineral? Yes, yes, molybdenite is the main mineral. Yes. Which is a soft sulfide, which yep. um, should, should uh, liberate uh, relatively easily. Is, is it coarse-grained? Is it fine-grained? Is the, tell me a little bit about the kind of the basic features of it. Sure thing. One of the, you know, I mean, this, uh, this project, uh, I mean, when we had their samples out yesterday, you know, people were blown away. I mean, we had some of more showcase samples, uh, like more showy pieces, but we're talking, you know, molybdenum rosettes that are on, you know, multiple centimeters across the kind of thing, very chunky, you know, very chunky molybdenum or, or molybdenite. Um, you know, there are, there is, there are some veins that are finer grain molybdenum or that have a finer grain molybdenite, but yes, this deposit was known for being, you know, quite coarse as well, which then added to the, uh, you know, um, you know, to, uh, to the positivity in terms of how this thing could potentially float. So that as you're grinding it, you know, uh, if you're already very fine when, when it comes to your, uh, you know, to the minerals that you're trying to extract, if it's already fine to begin with and you grind it down, if it, you know, there, you can get the stages where it gets too fine where, you know, flotation then becomes difficult. Mind you, molybdenum is actually fairly easy to float compared to other um, uh, uh, minerals of interest um, because, yeah, it just naturally, it's, uh, it actually floats itself quite naturally. It's not like something like, like tungsten where uh, there's no way, like you get into the point ones. And I actually have a tungsten background. I used to work at a producing uh, tungsten operation. So yeah, while on paper, you know, some commodities like tungsten can still have a significant value the metallurgy on them, like a, a 0.1 tungsten, because tungsten is about the same price as molly. A 0.1 tungsten is very difficult uh, in a lot of situations, historically anyway, to actually get re the recoveries from. But yeah, molly doesn't have that, which is why molly deposits can be uh, mined at uh, such lower grade. And uh, what was the what was the historic capex figure that they they put on it back in the day when the, when that that feasibility came out? Uh, it was uh, about 680 million dollars. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, it, I mean, it's obviously you've got to do the work. Um, you've got to see what the changes in the metallurgy are going to um, bring you in terms of the cost benefits, but the, the, the geology hasn't changed. So, you know, you, you know what the, the grain size distribution is, you know what the, the friability of the rock or the hardness of the rock is. So all of that data is going to be um, relatively constant. Um, how do you how do you value this? How do you compare this to other projects globally? You know, if if you're a resource investor, how do you look at this and think, oh, 0.5 grams, uh, 0.05% is economic, but 0.38% is not. 0.038. You know, what are, what are your yardsticks? Where, where do you go to to looking at the things beyond climax, or is climax your your key comparable? Well, actually, yeah. So you mean you mean looking at other projects out there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, actually, one of the key comparables that I would refer, um, you know, your viewers to would be to actually dig into the old uh, historic feasibility studies that are publicly available. Um, and, you, and even beyond that, um, uh, historically, uh, for the uh, when this was in when the when the project got into the engineering, um, the strip ratios were quite low. We're talking. So for the 2007, it was about a one point one uh, to one strip ratio. So very low strip ratio. So again, when you get into these low grades, you know, you know, things like that make a very big difference. 
um, compared to you know a porphyry deposit, uh, open pit porphyry system that's being mined at like a one uh, at a three to one. You know that's yeah. You know if you do a rough mining cost of two dollars a ton, you know that's four dollars a ton cost difference on something that's uh, a three to one strip ratio versus a one to one strip ratio. Yeah. So yeah, and all those little things you know add up uh, really quick. Um, so yeah, for these things you really need to get into the engineering. So it's you know really. Um, yeah, those are, th that's where it's going to show up. Now we're lucky we have this historical, uh, you know, material or, um, historical information to reference. Uh, yes. Otherwise I wouldn't really, really be able to, to comment on the comparable, except to say that it starts right at surface. And that's another thing. Yes. The mineralization starts right at surface. So there's uh, very little, uh, pre-stripping to no pre-stripping. I mean, you're walking over the mineralization in some cases. Um, Dave, can you... Dave, can you give us a um, kind of a, a talk through the kind of the key numbers from the historic um, feasibility study? You know, what are the headline numbers on it? Yeah, there's a story. Again, I, I, one thing I like to emphasize is during the last cycle, Melodon had a big bump up. This was the only project that went through, you know, bankable feasibility and rate was fully funded and went into actual mine construction. Um, the comparables would be, you know, Mount Hope and, and Kitso, for example. And I believe those are only three in North America that other than um, Climax is sweet, which we really can't comment on at comparables. And um, we're happy to actually sit down with investors and do comparables. And you know, Mount Hope is a little higher grade. It would appear they have a higher strip ratio. And Kitso's on the coast. And maybe they're, whether the Climax is, their pause is Climax or not is irrelevant. But I don't believe it's a climax deposit. I mean, you're getting permitting on the coast right now. Kitso is a nice project. Um, but I truly believe that, you know, Kitso and Mount Hope and Ruby Creek stand out alone above everything else. You look at projects like Indaco and, and uh, Thompson Creek, and they're much lower grade. And also the sweet spots have already been mined. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited because I, when I got this project, I kind of thought it was top 10. But as I've seen other projects around the world, um, we're really excited and we're, we're, we're working with the uh, International Molly Association in London with Ava Madal and we're laughing about there's very few comparables out there and this this is a, is a really nice project it's shallow and uh, you know again the, the, it was a pit constrained resource it was fairly conservative we hired MDA I was just the show the last couple of days and people like why did you hire MDA they'll give you absolutely nothing they're the toughest guys we don't, we don't want anything we don't we don't want to we don't want to exaggerate or uh, we don't have to lie about anything and that's one of the problems with the junior mining sector it's riddled with people trying to over exaggerate um yeah so uh, we're really really excited about it and and um you know right now 85 percent of the world's molybdenum is, is byproduct and um eva says we have to go to these pure play projects next the byproduct is big problems with cadelco is one of the biggest clients in chile and so everyone thinks all copper projects are byproduct molly they're not and those type of projects are waning and um so it, yeah we're excited and what did the old feasibility study kind of spit out in terms of NPV and um, tons of um, molybdenum on an annual basis? Um, it was going to be the pro so it was going to be a twenty three thousand ton a day uh, operation. Um, I mean, I I'm actually digging in from memory because I haven't looked at it for a while. But yeah, it was about a it was a little over three year payback. But modeling was much higher at the time. So just, you know, there's so many other things to bring into play that it's almost difficult to comment on, on, yeah. on how that, you know, on that, on how that project looked, uh, you know, compared to, you know, where we are now, um, and, you know, for us, what we're, what we're, you know, what, why we're moving forward is that these, you know, it's going to, you know, um, while all the drilling has been done, uh, the studies, a lot of it's been done, it's still going to take a while by the time you actually get to a feasibility study. 
or, or to, to completing a feasibility study. And all, so it's a very iterative process, this, uh, you know, once you get into this engineering phase. And, you know, what, um, you know, we've already seen Molly move up, but it hasn't had a very sharp increase. It just seems to have kind of floated its way up and settling around this $21 pound mark. Um, you know, what we're, you know, what we're hoping to see is some, you know, additional drivers in the future, you know, with, you know, infrastructure building perhaps, or, you know, any number of things um, and continue to see this higher. And while we're working on the engineering phases, we can actually see a much higher Molly price. Now, if we had, you know, so then at that case, yes, you can start doing a little bit more of a comparison between what the, you know, the MPV scenario, the MPV IRR scenario was uh, at the time in 2007 compared to what it is now. And you can kind of see the more, you know, the bigger impacts of what the, you know, the increased capital cost is, uh, you know, to, in today's dollars, or sorry, get, today compared to before. I guess one of the key things is um, kind of the in-situ value per ton. Um, so at current metal prices, the 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 0.053% 0 is somewhere between 20 and $25 per ton of rock in the ground. Yep. And then you're going to have to work out kind of what's a, what's, a, what's a suitable threshold price that you can take in your molly and what's your expected recovery rate going to be. And, and then you can um, figure it out from there. Yeah. So I guess for, for your viewers, if they want to start. So, I, so I'm not going to comment because as soon as you get into this in-situ price, again, you start having to bring in recoveries, dilution and things like that. You get into the engineering realm, which we don't. You know, we don't have uh, the data for uh, to actually back up that statement. Um, but I mean, as a rough way, um, if they were to look at our resource uh, table uh, in our report, you'll see the different cutoffs. Uh, you'll see what 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 the grade looks like at different cutoffs. Um, and, you know, and also you can see what, you know, if you go back a little bit further to 2007 feasibility study, you can see what they uh, set up as far as uh uh, you know, um, a cutoff grade and, uh, you know, a feed grade for the, you know, for various uh, parts of that uh, mine life. And yep. so um, the, the historic, yeah, it depends. Yeah, it, it changes, but it was over. Uh, so after dilution, it was still over uh, 0.05. Um, in fact, I think it was closer to 0.05. Nine. I should actually check this before, you know, I am being recorded, so I should actually double check the numbers, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, that was, you know, that was the feed grade that they were, uh, you know, looking at uh, yep. putting through their mill, uh, some, somewhere in that realm anyway, maybe it was a 0.055, but yeah. Um, and then, so from that, you can extrapolate an in-situ value, but even then, you know, they're, you know, it, so you can see that's going to be cash positive based on just, you know, running back of the envelope, uh, you know, mining costs just from an operating standpoint. But what, what would rent, you know, what makes these projects or any project economic is having, you know, like seeing how this mineralization is distributed, you know, do you have, you know, if, you know, five, six years of, you know, significantly higher grade material that is able, you know, that's going to enable you to get that, you know, uh, reasonable payback period. That's actually makes the, uh, the project truly economic and not just, you know, a, a cash positive scenario. Which is exactly why I was asking you about, you know, what's the grade hom homogeneity within this? You know, do you have a start? Do you, do you have a high grade portion within it? Um, and the, my other question really is, is, you know, what was the historic recovery factors, re recoveries in the metallurgical processing? Because um, that's also critical. Yep. So for the resource, 
uh, we did use a 92 because there was actual data, metallurgical data to back it up. Um, but again, I, I would caution that that's not what one should be using for the actual mining scenario, because as your grades fluctuate, you know, you know, you know, 92 might be what you get at the beginning with the starter pit where the grades higher, but it might drop to 90, which is also a number that popped up a few times in some of the other um, metallurgical studies. So, you know, I mean, so anyway, so I'm just giving you a range right now. So, and, and also it's, it's a norm. Yeah. Uh, with, with molybdenum, these molybdenum projects, yeah, you get really, high, you know, high eighties to low nineties kind of uh, recoveries is, yeah, it's kind of the norm. And it really, again, it also depends on the, the actual feed grade. Oh, that's probably a function of the, the petrography or the mineralogy that we spoke about, which is yep. that it's a, um, molybdenite's a, a, a nice, uh, sulfide to work with you can you can spot it one can spot it very easily even an out of practice geologist like me can see it in the field um and um it responds well to conventional processing so you know that that's a huge advantage it's it's going to be crucial isn't it about um the the, the metal price assumptions that one makes and the, yeah. the 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 work that you do, do um in terms of the resource i i, I what's the next um What's the next step? Is it more study or are you going to do some kind of infill drilling or are you going to, you know, what, what actually are the next steps this, this year on, on Ruby Creek? So actually we're going to use the PEA to guide us as, you know, uh, into whether we actually need to do any additional infill drilling. Um, uh, yeah, the, the vast majority of this resource is actually in, in measured and in, in indicated. And so, yeah, the PEA, will actually help guide us in terms of, you know, do you get, will you get a significant amount of economic benefit um, to actually, you know, uh, upgrade your inferred to, to indicated. Um, and then if we find that that becomes, you know, something to do, then, you know, then there's also potential to do some expansion drilling because once you have a drill on site, uh, you know, then we might actually consider, you know, testing some of, uh, some of the areas where the mineralization is still open and also one area to the southwest where, you know, we have, you know, uh, 45 meters of overpoint, uh, you know, two, three uh, molybdenum, um, you know, and it, and, it, and it ends in mineralization. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple spots that, you know, as, as an exploration, as my exploration, you all decide, I'm very curious about, but the deposit's so defined as it is that um, it may not be, you know, the most prudent thing to do to continue to put more holes into it uh, at yeah. this point. You know, it, it may make no difference to the economics and we'll end up just spending money and deluding ourselves for, for no real uh, benefit, uh, you know, to our investors, which is, includes us as well. Uh, you know, we're all investors actually, as well as officers of the company. So where have you got to in the PEA? Has it, has it kicked off? Have you appointed the engineering um, groups? And um, when, when, how long is it going to take to, to complete? Uh, so, yeah, we're expecting. So, yes, we have uh, selected a group. Um, and the kickoff meeting will be in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, we're actually in the process of transferring, you know, probably it's nearly 120 gigs of old data because it also includes feasibility level data uh, to them. And uh, yes, that should be starting off uh, very soon. Um, we're just also completing some scoping uh, studies, uh, level studies, or uh, scoping level studies as well, just to kind of flush out some of the potential scenarios that we'd like to explore in more detail. Uh, with uh, with the PEA, and so yeah, we expect to actually hit the hit the official start button. Although, as I said, we're we're already starting the process with the data transfer and stuff, but the official start button should start in the next couple of weeks. And three four months? Uh, no, uh, likely 
I would say probably six. So six months would be a very acceptable number in my opinion, but there's so much data in this, uh, on this project. And so that itself is both a benefit, you know, um, because you get to actually see what other people thought and, you know, be able to build on that. But at the same time, it does take more time to get through uh, such, you know, projects like this versus something that nobody's done anything with, uh, with, it's brand new and there's really, you know, you're the first person to take a crack at it. So yeah, usually those actually can go a little faster in some ways. Okay. And so um, that's essentially because you're, you're, you're very close to the kind of the border of the Yukon, aren't you? You're right up in the north of, of um, British Columbia. So it's um, presumably summer season only. So does that mean that your field work in, in the summer is going to be uh, mapping and prospecting on the gold and the silver? Uh, yes, predominantly just kind of finishing off some areas uh, of, the, of the tenures that we, that we haven't looked at, plus also go up to our Yukon project for a little bit uh, and, uh, and check out me, you know, do, do some ground truthing. Uh, uh, we, you know, we flew a geophysics survey in, uh, in 2020, and there were some areas that we still haven't uh, checked on yet. Um, and then, yeah, no, it's, uh, and then also, we also, uh, 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 acquired some claims, uh, uh, at Ruby Creek to the South of our, uh, original, uh, land position, uh, over top of, uh, some, uh, very, uh, very rich uh, placer creeks, uh, which have actually uh, been noted to have bedrock gold in them uh, as well. So, you know, there's also going to be going down there uh, and checking those out as well and, and, and do some baseline work uh, on those areas. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, as you asked earlier, like, you know, what's the focus in 2022? Yes, the main focus is actually uh, advancing the Ruby Creek molybdenum project. Um, we feel that, you know, I mean, pure grass field exploration, you know, you can, it gets the imagination going. There's a lot of blue sky potential, but really in terms of tangible value, it's a long way from generating any sort of tangible value versus this. We feel, uh, you know, there is something that you can actually, you know, uh, you know, create some sort of, you know, more realistic formula for value for what the value of the project is by, you know, engaging in this work. So yes, we're going to be focusing on the, on this PEA, uh, as well as, you know, working behind the scenes on this planet arrangement, which we think will be of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, huge benefit for all our existing uh, shareholders, plus also in terms of for the company, in terms of our own uh, maneuver, uh, maneuverability, because as Dave may have uh, mentioned before uh, in previous interviews, uh, a, Molly attracts a certain class of investor and versus these precious, you know, things like precious metals and where your traditional commodity, you know, traditional base metal commodities, you know, they also have their own investor plus development projects itself has its own, its own class of investor versus these, you know, greed. So um, it makes sense uh, to actually split these assets up um, and be able to get the investor support that you want without, uh, for that particular uh, goal that you have uh, with the assets that you have within that, uh, entity and then you know without diluting uh, you know the other assets essentially and the you know as you end up raising money to uh, push the things forward thank you um um Esan, I, I, before i go to dave and I will, I will come back to dave but um one of the other questions i wanted to ask you you mentioned something about placer drilling uh, or an, an area called placer within the deposit I, i'm can you explain a bit more about what that meant i didn't understand it Oh, uh, oh, placer development. Uh, placer development. Yeah, sorry. Yes, yes sorry. It just, we get so used to using the short, uh, 
your short name. Yes, that was yeah, that's that was the one of the minor com- uh, mining companies. Uh, you know, major company Placer was uh, was in there looking to develop this molybdenum asset. So yeah, oh, okay. Kerr Addison, Placer. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so so the, the Placer work when you talk, we refer to Placer is a period of work that they did on the deposit. Yes, 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 in the seventies okay. and the. Okay. 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 Got it. Um, good. Um, thank you. I, I've got a much better handle on things now. Um, D- Dave, um, coming over to you, w- w- how do you see the, the plan of arrangement going and the timeline on, on kind of separating the two companies? Um, we're, just, we're just working on our legal team right now and, and we're, we're building a roadmap and, and um, you know, well, obviously to satisfy exchange requirements, we need a techno, we a techno report on the molybdenum, which we've just delivered obviously with a resource update. And, you know, our, our council said, well, of all your projects, what's the most significant? I will the balance of the Ruby Creek tenures, particularly for gold and silver. And it was okay. So we need to deliver a tech report on that. And we're working on that behind the scenes. We started that quite a while ago and we're quite happy with the progress. So now it's time to actually get in some very detailed accounting stuff to, to you know, so the lawyers can break the company up and there's dividend tax implications and which is our main, obviously Ruby Creek's our main asset, but how the balance sheet works is, is up to the accountants and, and how we spin this thing off because there will be tax implications. But the idea is like, you know, a lot of my silver investors are frustrated. When are you going to drill for silver? And I go, we just want to loot the Mali and, and its greenfields, right? I mean, why, why would you care about, you know, we have some many silver samples over 10,000 gram, but why would you care if I had a couple of meters of 2,000 gram silver and I've got a, you know, right now, just based on the pit constrained resource, a global resource that's in excess of 10 billion Canadian, pushing 12 billion, and it's road accessible, it's permanent, right? So we don't want to loot that, right? And we are talking some big whales and we're, chances are we're going to get some sort of a, a strategic partner. Um, we're, we're pretty, I mean, you know, the ADNAC had a 200 million, $250 million market cap. We have a $17 million market cap. There's also the road alone cost them 22 million to build back in the day. And it's, it's a good road. And uh, my goodness, uh, you know, that road, I was told, I was someone told by one of my guys to be over 30 million build that road nowadays. So we're, we're, we want to create some value for shareholders. We do not want to dilute the Mali asset. And we, we, we believe it's a top tier asset. And, and uh, the more we look into it, it's, it's exciting. And uh, guys like you, you're, you're a smart guy and um, hopefully agree with us. Um, well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, it, it takes a while for me to. I'm a, I'm a very slow learner. It takes me a while to get familiar with a project and, and a team. Um, who who are you allocating within the company to kind of be the owners' team on the PEA? Oh, obviously, Assange in charge of um, working with the, with the team and the PEA. Uh, we also have um, Barry Barry Hansel's wife Jan is a very bright gal, and she really dealt a lot with the MDA and all the data transfer. She's for a database manager. It's an internal. We're all in it together to help out wherever we can. We, we yeah. do have. A, I'm very proud of my technical team. We're a teeny little company, but I I'm a businessman, and you're only as good as your people. I'm, I'm blessed to have people like Assan and Barry and Janet and Marco Van. We're all these geologists working for us. So I'm, we have an amazing team, and I'm very proud of my team. And are you are you mostly based in Vancouver? And is that where the PEA is going to be run from? Yes, and then the the PA actually the, the the engineering firm is actually out in Ontario predominantly, but they're all engineers that have the uh, experience, you know, and you know, within Northern Canada, you know, you know, uh, working on operations in Northern Ontario, and so they have a, you know, you know, you're not we're not farming this out to some group and and a very dry and tropical, you know, jurisdiction who. You know, there's little things that you end up missing in the process. As bright yeah, yeah, yeah. as you can be, you know that experience, that on the ground experience. And these are these are actually uh, so the firm actually consists of people who actually all all came in 
uh, with you know uh, actual operated uh, operations experience. Um, so they haven't just purely been uh, you know mining consultants all the time and just putting things together on paper. They actually you know implemented you know design work you know and in real time and see and saw the end results of it. Um, and I'm a big believer in that personally. I, I do a production background as well. I think it's really important. Um, you know, even as a geologist where I was doing, you know, in-house uh, resource calculations to actually see your resource calculation, you know, hit the final stage and actually hit the mill and come out as bags of concentrate at the end and reconcile it all and actually really see, you know, whether, whether you're, you're, you're doing it right, you know, and, yeah, yeah. You know, as opposed to doing it once on paper and then walking away from it and not really seeing, not suffering any of the consequence, not feeling any of that pressure afterwards to see if this thing actually you know, was interpolated, you know, realistically. And um, is the name of that consultancy group, is that public yet or have you not announced it? Uh, we haven't, we haven't announced it yet. Um, but uh, we do have, you know, there is going to be some uh, continuity with the group that we were working with before, um, as well yes. as, uh, as well as people who actually worked on the project before during ADMAC days as well. Like, yeah, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of continuity, you know, you know, of course, it limits yeah. the number of times the wheel gets reinvented. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And how many how many people you got to drag up that learning curve? People like me, you're like trying to get that information in my head. Um, good, um, Isan, uh, Dave. Thank you so much. I've I've learned so much about um, Ruby Creek and about um, Stuhini exploration. Um, Stuhini is not a kind of a um, a rock type in in southern east kind of central, uh, it's a rock formation in Eastern BC, isn't it? I'm not that I'm good on Canadian geology, but. In the, in the, yeah, the, largest, yeah. the largest terrain in Western Canada is Stikine terrain. And we, it's said to be created about 200 million years ago, give or take. And uh, back in the days when it was, a, you know, island groups in the Pacific, um, most of the gold mineralization were brought in by a volcanic event referred to as the Stikine volcanics. And our first project was in the Golden Trial, the Metla project, where we sold to Brixton for shares and some cash. And so we, we love the name Stahini and it's a neat name and everyone talks about Stahini and, and it's not a native name. It's just um, Stahini refers to a, something happened 250 million years ago in the Pacific and a very endowed event and SK and all these things, the big deposits were all related to Stahini volcanics. Yeah, it's, it's, I've seen it in the Golden Horseshoe, the Golden Triangle. Yeah. So yeah, it... Um, it uh, good job, it, Merlin. Good, good job on Western <laughs> <laughs> geology. <laughs> Hardly. Anyway, thank you very much. I look forward to um, catching up with you in due course. Um, are you going to take some of the core to PDAC? Uh, there will be some samples and yeah, a little bit of core. We do have a little bit of core that, uh, you know, we were just looking at for other reasons. But yeah, we'll bring it down as well. Because uh, yes, uh, I mean, I'm a geologist. I think, you know, uh, it's important to actually bring the rocks up, you know, from the project to to these shows and actually, you know, um, they're good. They're good conversation starters and to be able to like dig a little bit into it and, you know, you know, amazing, you know, as you start talking next thing, you know, you learn something from, you know, somebody who'd work on another project elsewhere, or you share whatever, you know, and they can take it elsewhere. And, you know, we can all move forward, you know, uh, being, you know, having learned just a little bit more from that exchange. Good. Well, I look forward to um, um, taking some time out from my booth and coming around to have a look at your booth and uh, have a look at the rocks and shake you by the hand. For sure. Look forward to that. And, and, and thank, thank you so much, Merlin. It's a pleasure meeting you. Uh, we're honored to be working with you guys. And, um, Look forward to working with you in the, in the near future. Great. Thanks a lot. See you soon. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care.